podcast eight of uh, Fictionality from the website fictionality.co.uk. I am Scott Heron. And I'm John Ferguson. And uh, today we're going to be talking to you about a whole bunch of stuff, including an update on uh, our script. Um, we're going to be bringing to you some cool information about um, a Creative Commons media archive that Moby's been put together for uh, filmmaking and a nice little program called Miro, which is an internet TV program. Um, so to kick off, shall we do a quick brief update on what's been going on? Yeah, I think strictly speaking, because I think it was a friend of ours called uh, Joe McGuire recently informed us that it's not Podcast 8, it's Podcast Episode 8. Oh, that's right. Because Podcast 8 implies we have eight different podcasts. Then it's Episode 8 of the podcast, Fictionality. Yeah. But you know what, I just think it's semantics. Yeah. It's and I, I don't like proving Joe wrong, to, uh, right, to be perfectly honest. So. <laughs> He's a hilarious guy. Joe is a fantastic guy. I, I love Joe. <laughs> he had me like splitting my sides in the street the other day. It was talking about um, the kind of Mario kind of galaxy stuff. And yeah, actually, Joe would be really good as, as the villain in the movie. Oh, actually, yeah, <laughs> kind of creeping around. I think I think we should have him as a guest. I think that'd be fun. We should bring Joe in. Yeah, we should do that. Actually, Joe would be good. Joe, just a very small chance. Joe's listening to the podcast. We should maybe uh, just ask him through the podcast. Joe, do you want to come next week and? Be on the show. It would be fantastic. If uh, we could do that forward rehearsal thing, we could go back in time and edit it in so he now says yes. <laughs> there we <laughs> go. Be, uh, there we go. Yeah. That was it there. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so um, yeah, we uh, we didn't do a podcast last week um, because of uh, incumbent uh, PhD deadlines from me. Yes. Uh, I was unable to do any film stuff last week. So um, where did that leave us? We are... Still working on the scripts, yay! Getting through though, slowly. <laughs> uh, we managed to do uh, two pages this weekend. Which is a lot. That's a lot for like... That's a lot for us. It, it brings us up to only a grand total of seven pages, including the title page. That's about halfway through though, <laughs> no? <laughs> well, no, it's not really. I think the the original narrative version, which I wonder if there's anybody has been... Uh, Big enough of a fan to have found the original narrative version, which I think is in two different places on the internet just now. It's just not on fictionality. But if you've managed to stalk me and track me down, you may have found it on some of my personal websites. Um, the original narrative version had five five chapters? Yes, it did. I think it had five chapters. We're halfway through chapter two <laughs> in the script. However, and that sounds really bad, but what it was is that the film version, the screenplay version, um, the first part of it is quite different from the narrative version because it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't adapt that well if it was a straight adaptation um so we've had to restructure a lot of stuff in the first part of the story and change the way things are told because we're using the film medium instead of the narrative medium that and this part of it's really complicated as well and it's going to get a lot simpler well no actually it does get more complicated the the story progressively progressively gets more and more complicated but it becomes easier to write as a script yeah because we don't explain it (laughs) (laughs) we only explain the stuff that's going on at the start and then at the end it's up to the audience to figure out what's going on so it's much easier for us to write that kind of stuff exactly um, but also the the remaining chapters, chapter three, four, and five, were pretty much the, in the narrative version. They were more or less dialogue. This has been one of the big problems. The, the first couple of chapters in the narrative version were not dialogue; they were all monologue uh, and like internal thoughts and things of the main character. Excuse me while I yawn. Um, it's been a long weekend, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so um, you know we had to basically this first part of writing the script was very creative I had to actually you know come up with new stuff 
Whereas this next part that we're about to come into is pretty much copying and pasting from the narrative version into the screenplay, so it should be a lot quicker. Um, I'm actually really optimistically hoping that two more weeks in the screenplay will be done. That's really what I'm hoping. I have no idea if that will even remotely pan out. Two weeks sounds magical. However, the problem with that is, now that I'm thinking about it, in two weeks' time, I think, is the final hand-in for my uh, first-year report for my PhD. That's the end of November. Yeah. Actually, so yeah, actually, yeah. it probably won't be two weeks. Because I'll be get really. No, I don't care about the film anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it'll be three weeks. Uh, <laughs> we'll, so we'll hopefully we'll, we'll uh, manage to get something done though. My dad will have gone by then as well. I sure he will come by then. Oh no, he won't. He, well, no, that'll just be the start of December. I thought he was going to be here during December. Yeah, he's here for the first week in December. But if your deadline is not till the end of November, then he arrives. End of November. Uh, when is your deadline? <laughs> end of November. Okay. So he'll just have arrived. Yeah. And then it'll be a couple of weeks later. He'll have left, maybe, and the screenplay will be done, maybe. and It's going to be like uh, beginning I'll, of December I'll have won the Super point. Bowl independently, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, uh, Super yeah. Bowl? Why is it bowl? Oh, I don't know. It's, it's because it's in a really, really big stadium or something. Uh, okay. <laughs> did, you know, did they win the Super Bowl? Is that the, is that the trophy? It's a Super Bowl. Oh, maybe, oh, maybe that is what it's it is. It's a bowl actually. with magical powers. If you're American or you know better, then please let us know. <laughs> My girlfriend raves at me later on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, uh, there's I don't there's no um, finance update, is there? No. No, we haven't no spent any money. finance update whatsoever. Not spent no money this week, which is pretty good. That was oh, well, for everybody that doesn't know, that was my um, uh, lower class Glasgow accent. <laughs> Do that again. What did I say again? Uh, no finance update this week. No finance update this week. That's pretty scary. I'm expecting a, a knife to come flying <laughs> through the air any second. Glaswegians. Uh, anyway, um, they're great. They're great. Well, we are Glaswegians and we are great. So. <laughs> Can't say Not much more say. than that. Oh, actually, that's actually a really good point. Scotland um, lost a football game last night, a very important football game. Yeah, we're now out of uh, Euro Cup 2008. I don't really care, but what I do, <laughs> what I do think is very cool is that every, you know um, we were getting um, praised in the media for our amazing handling of that defeat, mm. and that we all calmly went home and didn't cause a fuss. <laughs> the final score was it was two one to Italy. How annoying! Don't make them relive it, Scott. <laughs> On a more positive note, Russia did well. <laughs> oh, did they? Oh, that's no good, idea, though, actually. isn't it? We, we, I actually don't know how well they did. I think we needed Russia to do well. Uh, when we say football, by the way, we mean soccer. Yeah. Well, we don't. We mean football, but, you know. We mean, we mean football. <laughs> Soccer's not, slightly more universal. Not American football, but yeah. actual football. Invented in the UK. Yeah. Do, do Americans know that we call it American football? Um, I don't know, because I think they just call it football. It is actually called American football officially in America. It's the American Football League. That's because they recognise that football already exists. Or do they think it's just American Football League as in it's a national football league, so it's the American Football League? No, I'm not or sure. Or is it American Football League? I'm not sure. This is so pointless. Why are we talking about this? Okay, we're... <laughs> Scott, why don't you take us to the next part of this? I need to get a drink. Uh, so we're going to talk about... Um, we had a discussion today about some um, acting workshops again. We're going to be doing some acting workshops to... <laughs> I'll be uh, John Springwater there, uh, doing some workshops to kind of hone our acting skills uh, a bit better to make us, uh, I don't know, have any kind of skill at all in acting. And uh, in in that, we're going to be doing a, maybe making a teaser trailer just as a project to base that practice around. So that should give us some good opportunities for some uh, rather funny and hilarious outtakes as well, I'd imagine. Mm. 
Um, but I think if we make a teaser trailer, maybe even a couple, I don't think we're going to um, put any CGI into it. Um, no. But it's going to be probably containing a whole bunch of scenes that won't even be in the film. Like a lot of people do that, that like kind of um, produce t- teaser trailers don't actually contain any actual film yeah. content. I just actually, in general, though, I'm not a fan of that. Um, I think it can be good in depending on what you're doing. It works well for it Pixar. Depends. Well, see, it depends what they're doing. I see that's a good example of it. See, it depends what they're doing. See if they're doing it and it's actually very much structured as a trailer. Mm. If you know what I mean, like it's like I used to hate it when um, they would show you stuff and it was just like you know clips from the film. It was like summarizing what was in the film as a trailer, and then they would show you like really really funny takes of lines that wasn't the take they used mm. because that take worked better in a trailer. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see that? Yeah, I used to hate that. I like it when they... I, or or when, when all the funny stuff in the film was in a trailer. Yeah, I, that's what I hate. It's where the trailer actually sums up the film so you don't have to go and see the film. I hate yeah. So I quite like it when they do trailers that allow them to encapsulate what the film is about without actually telling you anything about what the film is about. I see our film trailer being like... Um, More atmospheric, kind of... What was, it, was there a Blair Witch trailer? More, almost oh, no, certainly. Oh, no, do you know what I see? Like, the trailer for The Village... That's what ours is going to be like. I'm trying to remember what that one was like. Um, it didn't tell you anything. It was very scary. <laughs> Excellent. That's what we want. We're going to tell you anything, and we're going to get scary. That's exactly what you need. I was actually already having some like visions in my head of what kind of stuff we would show in the trailer. It's, it's a cross between the Wicker Man and uh, and the Village. Aha. Uh-huh, okay. Have you seen the original The Wicker Man? Mm, no. Who was in that one? Who wasn't in that one? Uh, <laughs> no, nobody uh, ex- especially famous. Gary Oldman. No. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. The guy that played Lord... Uh, if, if, you know in uh, Lord of the Rings? Uh, yeah. The guy that played Saruman? Oh. oh uh, What's his name? Uh, He's so famous. <laughs> uh, uh, Gary Coleman. That's not... <laughs> That's that uh, little guy that was on... That show about the family. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, Willis? What yeah, are yeah, you talking yeah, about, Willis? Lord of... You take a stream and Google uh, some stuff. You're going to Google... Uh, I'm actually uh, just trying to find out exactly what happened with that Russia... Uh, uh, thingy. Oh, what's that? The Da Vinci Code prequel becomes first hit film by Hollywood Strike. What? They're making a Da Vinci Code prequel? What are you talking about? Sorry. Are you googling stuff as well? No, no, no I just I we can't like, both the googling stuff. No, no, One no, of no. us has to present the show. No, no, I was, I was just, uh, I just wanted to double check what the score was with Russia, but then I've just on the BBC <laughs> website, I've just noticed that there's going to be a prequel to the Da Vinci Code, um, and it's being affected by the Hollywood strike. That we talked about that a few uh, podcasts ago, and the Hollywood strike kind of affecting the screenwriters, um, the screenwriters going on strike, affecting all of the. Uh, the thing is, what do you call those scripts being written, and it's causing shows to be stopped, like Twenty Four and stuff like that. But anyway. Um, so, what are you looking for, sorry, in Google? I'm, I'm trying to find out uh, who played Saruman. I can't remember his name. I'm really annoyed. Do you have that? Where's the box set? It's not, that's not going to be quicker. <laughs> <laughs> Why would that be quicker? Uh, Why wasn't in Return of the King? Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> it's hilarious. So, something else we have to start thinking about is quicker, that it's man. autumn at this point in time. And at the moment, we've got some really nice leaves on the trees. It's a nice kind of golden Christopher brown. Lee. Yes, it was. Christopher Lee, not Gary Coleman. In- incidentally, Oldman. a random bit of knowledge for The Wicker Man. Right? I actually don't think The Wicker Man's that great a film. It's an interesting little film. It's not scary. I don't care what people say. It, maybe it was scary back in the 70s, who knows, but I don't think it's very scary. But, um, Didn't it's an, somebody it- get burned inside The Wicker Man? Well, yes, that's the that's the beginning of the film. Oh, I'm sorry, I've which ruined it. ruined it for I'm sorry, I've ruined it. Um, I'm sure people could have guessed. Spoiler alert! Um, <laughs> it's much better than the Nicolas Cage version, which is not very good. However, um, one of the characters in it, uh, Willow, who plays the landlord's daughter, 
uh, a very capricious young woman. Um, it's played by uh, Britt Eklund, who is, I want to get a shot in the dark here and say Swedish. Wait for IMD to be loaded up. She's Swedish, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Britt Eklund is not speaking at all in The Wicker Man. Anytime you hear her speak, it's uh, a middle-aged Scottish woman uh, doing a voiceover. Wow. Because she's Swedish and she doesn't have a Scottish accent. That's actually quite bizarre. Yeah, so anytime you hear her speak, it's not her speaking. And anytime you hear her singing, it's not her singing. Anytime you see her naked, it is her naked. Because uh, that would be a bit weird to be able to dub that over. Yeah. With. I have to say, see The Wicker Man, I did not expect that much nudity. Because I hadn't seen it, I'd heard a lot about it, and I saw it a couple of weeks ago, and it's just wall-to-wall nudity. Whole film. Well, not the whole film. There's a lot of nudity in it. Well, nudity is always something. <laughs> <laughs> A sentence without meaning there, Scott Wilder. <laughs> I was going to say it's always good, but then I suddenly don't want to, you know... I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> I don't want to become that guy, exactly. How did we go into the Wicker Man? Oh, yeah, the trailer. So, um, yeah, I'm expecting something quite uh, brilliant, to be honest. But it has to be... It has to, everything we do has to have an air of Blair Witch about it because we're shooting it on a handicam. That's right. And if, we, if we'd if we had anything other than the handicap... This is really funny, actually. See, I don't know if we've ever done this before, but because we have the curtains open, I'm actually speaking to Scott through the reflection in my window. Scott and I don't see each other uh, the, way that, the way that my room is set up. <laughs> we record these podcasts in my bedroom, and the way it works is that I'm facing a wall, and Scott is facing uh, another wall, but behind me. <laughs> so he can't see my face at all, and I can't see his. I think this is the first time I've ever had the curtains open, because the window's right in front of me, and I can see Scott's face. Yeah, that, that's what prompted me to start talking about the leaves in autumn and the shots from different types of the yeah, year. And stuff. Oh, that's right, what you were talking about right? you, got, you talk about the leaves. That was a good. Uh, I was just, just as I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted, John. <laughs> uh, the, uh, yeah, the moment we've got, it's obviously autumn. Uh, it's not obviously autumn, is it? You don't know. Check the date of the podcast. You'll see it's obviously autumn. It's autumn. And uh, we've got some nice leaves on the trees at the moment. And what we're trying to do is take some photos or some, some still, uh, either some photos or some brief video, I don't know. Um, of different seasons so we can then collage it together and have pick up shots pick up shots. pick up shots so we can have it looking like time is passing for certain key scenes and we thought we'd better start filming that right now um, although we'll have an opportunity mm-hmm. in the next autumn. yeah this was a crazy idea that we came up with um, the first day of writing the script actually we came up with this idea that we would have a shot where um, the main character is looking at the window and we see, we see shots of um, the outside and shots of him looking out the window, and we decided we'd film lots of these over the course of a year. Um, my original plan had actually been to shoot one every single day with me in the exact same pose for over the course of a year. That would mean also... Oh, no, you could change your hair and clothes, though, because it was... Well, that was the point. See, if we did it every day for a year, we could then do... You know, just I'm talking like a still shot, not, not a video, just a still shot. Mm-hmm. That would be uh, 365 frames. Mm. And just make them into, you know, 365 frames. How many seconds is that? 365 divided by 25? Mm. You can't do that in your head, my goodness. <laughs> Ask Google. Google's good for that. I'll use Launchy and I'll say calculator. <laughs> and then oh, dear. I apologize for all of this. Uh, that would be 14.6 seconds. That wow. would be pretty cool. But, you know, I don't think we can really do that because I can't bother. <laughs> That'd be kind of nice, though. I think one of the internet, there was a woman um took a photograph of herself every day for three years. Weird. Not in the exact same pose, though, but just she just took a picture of herself every day for three years, and it was this, the camera was set up the same way, but she didn't do the same pose. And she made it into a movie, and it was like four minutes long. Or something, I don't know. So, it was weird. did you see her aging? Yeah. It was, an, it was, an odd, it was nothing. Anyway, we were going mm. to do that, but um, I don't know. I think that's maybe a bit ambitious. Although, it's cool in that we know we're going to take over a year to make the film, and that's the, only, that's the kind of thing you could only do in a project like ours. Mm. You know what I mean? 
yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's kind of cool from that point of view that we could have a shot like that in there which is it would be pretty unique to our film that a shot like that could even be done it's maybe still something worth thinking about because it's not too late to do it yet we wouldn't have to do it till winter winter's when we really have to make these kind of decisions about whether or not we're even, we're even going to go through with those kind of shots but anyway the point was we're going to have these shots to like um, emphasise that um, the, the, the main character Martin does the same thing every day for a long time Mm-hmm. Um, and that's um, to lull you into a false sense of confidence about something. I think I think that would work quite well for what we wanted to do, though. I think I think it's something we should really should sort of. Well, it's uh, the the still animation thing. Yeah, I think that would look Just quite me. funky as well. So, like every every morning, I get up and I sit there and I take a picture of me. Yes, every morning for a year. For a whole year. I'll do that if you really want. Every to single day. <laughs> Frankly, I don't want to. I'll do it if you tell me. Do it once a week. Do it once a week, and then we can just multiply the images. <laughs> <laughs> once a week. That would only be fifty-two frames. What's that divided by twenty-five? Two seconds. That's not good. <laughs> that'd be like a, that'd be like whiz by, John. You know. Well, we could always. I suppose it doesn't really make that much difference, does it? Mm. Well, I mean, if you took two, if you took, if you just doubled all the pictures, then it's going to double seconds. Wow. It'll be the, a double the length of time, and uh, or if we maybe did it by four or something, multiplied by four. I don't know. We'll see. I could. I'll maybe try and I'll maybe set up a camera like there on a tripod or something, and then. Every day I'll sort of try and do it and see what happens. But the thing is, it's like you have to charge the camera and then... I mean, you've got, you've got your little uh, digital photo, photo camera, photo-esque camera. Huh? You have your... Is that a Canon? you got your camera, Canon, Canon digital Canon, camera. Yeah. You can take a photo. Although, strictly speaking, Scott, if we did that, we'd really have to add that to the film budget. Ooh, that's true. Mm. That's so we true. should really use the hand again. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just so we don't have to increase our, our pretend budget by anymore. Yeah. Um, gosh, we've been talking for a long time about nothing. Um, yeah. Was that that was a random? That wasn't on the script, was it? Uh, no, that was a total random. Um, what are we supposed to be talking about this episode? We're supposed to be talking about uh, what, what we've just talked about with oh the acting God. classes and the the teaser trailer stuff and then um, you show me some really cool stuff about from, from Moby um, like Moby set up a Creative Commons warehouse of is, uh, is it actually Creative Commons that he's, he's under? I'm sure he mentioned it being Creative Commons I was trying to find cool. the link the, um, the other day but I could not find it it must have been a Skype conversation we'd had rather I'll than find email. it you keep talking and I'll find um, it I had to browse through the Moby website and incidentally it's rather strange it's got, Moby's sitting on this chair and he keeps appearing randomly in the front page it's, uh, it's, it's actually quite terrifying um, but uh, it's it's quite an interesting um, archive that you speak together. It's full of these kind of files that people anybody can use to include in whatever film project they want. I'm actually quite surprised that um, Moby is so into supporting um, sort of amateur sort of uh, movie making stuff like that. This is where I actually find out that it's not in fact movies and is in fact music. But uh, we'll find out in a second <laughs> if I'm completely wrong here or not. I'm going to go to the dig. I think that's where I found it from. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure incidentally, it was... actually, I just noticed that um, uh, there's nothing there's nothing on his, his main webpage about this, actually. But it does point out that November 16th, recent news, was that... Um, a new album? Moby's going to be releasing a new album. Yeah, I'm quite excited about that. However, my friend Joe Mango... That's uh, Joe Mango. I had a conversation with uh, a couple of nights ago about all this um, record industry copyright jazz. Uh, and Joe had a, a slightly more pessimistic take on it than I was expecting, actually. But it was a, a very fair take. We'll maybe talk about that later. Because um, I need to look stuff up. Why, why are you doing uh, nothing here? <laughs> incidentally... Um, you can do the show when I'm not doing it. Well, that's true, I suppose. Um, <laughs> let's have a look and see here. Oh, there was a really cool... Um, uh, 
I don't know if you guys have uh, ever come across something called Miro yet. Um, it's a very cool uh, internet-based TV type thing where it's basically a big um, program that lets you link onto lots and lots of vidcasts. Uh, and it's doing it in such a way that it's simulating a big TV guide. And there's a lot of content on there that's been taken from TV companies like CBS uh, and other news companies and other entertainment companies and National Geographic. And they've made podcasts of actual shows that they've made and they've provided them for free on this service. But it also link- links into actual video podcasts as well that other people have made. And what it seems to be promoting is the creation of free television and trying to get amateurs into television, which suits in really closely to what uh, what we're trying to do with amateur filmmaking, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, and you can see things like, like for example, um, our vidcast, the one vidcast that we've done is on there. Um, uh, but it's kind of having a look into through, and there's, there's some rather interesting things on there, like... Um, I don't know if you can get... There's a couple of guys who've created this new um, sort of extension of Star Trek called Star Trek New Voyages. I'm not quite sure if that's on there or not, but it's kind of a good example of um, amateurs doing television um, and where they've kind of come together and for free and on their own backs created something which is really, really um, close to the original. Um, everything from the acting down to the sets. Where even actually, I'd say the sets are probably better than the original series at this point. And of course, the special effects are going to be a lot better because there is actually CGI now. Um, but this kind of Miro program was was really quite interesting. Okay, I found, um, I found this thing about Moby. If you go to Moby.com, that's Moby's website, um, there's a link to Moby, gra- uh, Moby Gratis. All right. Um, and that is the that's the free stuff. I think um, that's the one thing I didn't click on. What is this going Is that the one thing you're on? <laughs> in, your, in your research for this afternoon? So is, is it music rather than video? Have I just got it completely wrong? Yes, music. All right, there we go. I, I never told you it was video, did I? Uh, no, I don't know why I got it in my head it was video. Maybe I got mixed up with the Miro. I'll show you what it says here. It says, Hi, I'll keep this brief. This portion of Moby.com, Film Music, is for independent and non-profit filmmakers, film students, and anyone in need of free music for their independent, non-profit film, video, or short. So it's used to say you have to make an account login and stuff. It doesn't say anything about Creative Commons, though. Um... I think I just assumed it probably would have to be. No, I think it's, I think he's just got his own kind of license thing going on. It's just as long as you don't make money off of it. I don't think you even have to credit Moby according to this little statement, but I don't you have to log in and find out. We're not using it, so we're not really that bothered, but we just thought it was interesting. It says also, if you want to use it in a commercial film or short, then you, ha- you can apply for an easy license with mm-hmm. any money that's generated being given to the Humane Society. So mm-hmm. even, if, even if you do end up needing to license it for commercial reasons, he's not going to take the money, he's going to give it to the Humane Society. Which is quite interesting, but... Um, Nothing. I, I did. You get that thing about Trigger Digest or uh, Trigger Street? Sorry, Trigger Street. I sent you an email about Trigger Street. Oh yes, you did. You did indeed send me an email about Trigger Street. You don't remember the date? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I got that email. I read through the whole thing. I actually, actually did, but I've forgotten all the details of it since uh, <laughs> reading through it. Well, sadly, so have I. Uh, <laughs> TriggerStreets.com. Uh, one word. This is a website that Kevin Spacey set up. Kevin, oh, that's right. Yeah, I thought it was quite cool. I didn't realize Kevin Spacey was so into this kind of stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, can you remember what the gist of it was? I can't forget. Um, it was I remember being fascinated at the time. But I can't really remember. Was not was that not the one that was along the lines of the Moby music stuff, but with film, where people could? I don't see. It was Trigger Street that I found out about the Moby stuff because they had an article about it. 
I think I think that's what got me confused. I think the, the trigger thing might be the same sort of thing, but with movies, movie kind of clips. And oh, stuff. oh, here it goes. Here it goes. Trigger Street Productions Incorporated was formed in 1997 by Kevin Spacey to develop and produce entertainment in a variety of mediums. Realizing that the path to his own success would have been much rockier without the support and encouragement of many outstanding mentors, Spacey has sought out a way to inspire, nurture, and help bring exposure to new and undiscovered talent. If you're in a position to help others, if you find yourself in the building of life and you can send the elevator back down, that becomes your earnest duty. This philosophy has become the catalyst for the second step of his vision, TriggerStreet.com. So I really, really like this idea. It's um, it's a kind of community of filmmakers and scriptwriters, um, so that we can kind of like it's to make it easier to discover and showcase new work. So it's actually just a place to publish, really. Okay. At the end of the day, which I think is really nice, and um, because it's Kevin Spacey's kind of set up, he's actually trying to get people in the industry to go and have a look at this stuff. And he'll give you feedback, or at least maybe not him, but... Well, provide... maybe not him, but, you know, it, it gives a way for actual professionals to give you feedback on your film rather than just uh, losers or... <laughs> yeah, and it gives you... Uh, um, it's, it's free as well, isn't it? It's a free service. I think so, yeah, I think it's free. Um, see, that's quite... I think almost... we will probably be on there eventually. I only found out about it kind of recently, though. Um, the one thing I was going to say, though, is this, this, this conversation I with Joe Mango... Um, I was telling you about kind of all, um, all this that's been happening recently with the record industry. Joe, Joe Mango's... Um, uh, she, she's a music artist in her own right. Um, it's not Joe Mango in a couple of words. Whatever. Joe, <laughs> go to Joe Mango that could at UK and find out. Um, she's a very good singer. She's um, uh, got her own record label and stuff. And I was I was talking to her about all this that's been happening with record labels, the kind of stuff I've been mentioning on the show the last few weeks, uh, the last few weeks, last few episodes. Um, about Radiohead and Nine Inch Nails and the way that they've um, started kind of suggesting they'll release stuff for free or, you know, as a... Um, in a as you want it kind of way, and she was kind of starting to kind of say that she didn't really believe that it was them that was doing that, um, and she believed that ultimately there were still some marketing people behind it, and that ultimately it was just a big marketing stunt. Um, now, I can understand where she's coming from, and there's really no proof to say either way whether or not it was. Um, I think one of the big things about Radiohead is everybody suggested it was a marketing stunt about a week later when somebody posted an article somewhere about how they'd found out, I'm doing the inverted commas thing with my hands, the speech, the quotes thing, found out that um, Radiohead would be releasing it under a record label sometime in 2008. Mm. Now, they didn't find that out because Radiohead put it on their blog in June. You know, I'm, Or at least that's when I first found out about that. The first time I heard about all this was it was like back in June... Um, there was a, I knew I knew this I can't, I can't really remember how I found out but I knew back in June that they'd be having a digital distribution and a record deal to follow in 2008 however I think at the time I'd been led to believe that the digital distribution would be in like January 2008 with the the, the, the record like in March or something mm. so the, the the digital download came much earlier it was like everybody was kind of going this guy and then a lot of other people consequently followed his suit and then kind of said oh, that's really ridiculous and it, was like, it was just a total marketing ploy they are going to release it in in CD, it was like, well, they never said they weren't. So it does kind of come across like that, but yeah, I can see why people would kind of get that way. However, I mean, it's like I, I, I'm a big Radiohead fan, so I'm not, I'm kind of biased, I suppose. But um, but Joe was kind of still su- suggesting at the end of the day that there was some marketing guy kind of came up with this story, if you like, of you know this will get us a lot of publicity and it won't cost us money because we don't have the money to launch a national campaign. It was all this kind of stuff, like. Um, but what I was kind of suggesting to Joe was, and again, I don't know if this is true, but. Um, with the social mediums that are in place now, especially social bookmarking like Dig and Red Edit and uh, Delicious, mm. um, there's a lot of news, and I have been following this recently the last few months, where I, I see it on Dig or something uh, one day, and then the next day or the day after, it starts to appear in the general press. 
All right. So, so I'm not sure whether it's just that's how long it's taking the general press to catch up with these kind of sites, or if it's the, the general press is now reading these kind of sites to get maybe news that's a bit more off the beaten track from their normal you know, links. And um, you know, I, I don't really know how the BBC or whatever find out about news. I don't know how anyone finds out about news, to be honest. But um, it's, it seems to me that they're now reading these kind of sites. And I was kind of suggesting to Joel that really all Radiohead were doing was posting on their blog, okay, the album's out. And then you know, Radiohead get hundreds if not thousands of people read their blog. And it maybe only takes a hundred of them to dig that article for it to get onto Dig's front page. Then everybody in Dig reads the article. And then it gets onto other social network sites from that. Mm. And then it spreads out. And then if, if you know, people at the BBC are reading it, they then get it and put it on their website. Now, I'm not suggesting that's definitely what happened. I'm just suggesting that's one possible route where it could have genuinely been that Radiohead, all they literally did was post it on their blog. And then two days later, it's on you know, international press. I'm not saying it's, that is the way it happened. They might have hired a guy. I don't know. Um, but I think the point I was trying to make to Joel was that Radiohead recorded this not in a studio in their house. Um, I'm not even sure if they used a sound mixer. I think they did it all themselves. So there was no one to pay. Um, it didn't cost them anything to make the album. And from what I'm suggesting, whether or not it's true, I don't know, but what, from what I'm suggesting, it cost them nothing to put out the album either. They just made an announcement. And then it was digital distribution, so there was no production costs. So, I don't know, that seems like a really, really um, good economic way to make albums. And the thing that I'd really, I'd really like to point out um, is that that's the way I make albums. How, how cool am I? <laughs> <laughs> um, and other people were kind of suggesting things like, you know, that, that Radiohead were like really pioneering by having this pay-what-you-think-it's-worth thing, which I didn't buy because I knew about Magnitune, which is a, a record label on the internet, um, where all the artists have to agree to that kind of license, where it's a pay-whatever-you-think-it's-worth. In fact, everything on Magnitude is Creative Commons as well, so check out Magnitude, they're very cool. It's um, a very neat program, but there's some, I don't know, it's kind of doesn't, maybe doesn't work totally well in terms of like people listening to the kind of in-between music as opposed to the free music and the expensive music. But. Yeah, I mean, Scott, we, we had a, a kind of, we're trying to talk, so the, the stemming from this conversation I had with Joe about um, this kind of stuff, I mean, obviously Joe is trying to make money out of this, um, not because she's, you know, trying to make money per se, but she needs to make money to, you know, live. And she wants to, all she really wants to do is make music. So, you know, for that to work out, she either has to have an extremely nice benefactor or she has to make money from her music. Um, and it's because I, I keep going on about Creative Commons. It's all very well for me and Scott to sit here and talk about how great Creative Commons is, but we're not actually suggesting that it's necessarily the, the best thing for professionals. However, I think I would suggest that the concept of this kind of thing applying to professionals is still there, like the morals of it. Because... There needs to be some kind of middle road where you're not being quite as evil or money-centric as like record companies or studios. But at the same point, I understand that people will need to make a living out of stuff. So, I mean, I, I think there needs to be a kind of middle ground as well. But, I mean, and the kind of nasty point, if you like, is um, the guy that made creative, create, came up with Creative Commons, uh, Lawrence Lessig, who I've spoken about before, he wrote the book Free Culture, which you can get for free under the Creative Commons. He's written several other books since then that are not um, Creative Commons which is interesting considering he was the one that came up with that. Mm. Um, but at the same point, you would have realised, yeah, but you know, the guy needs to make money. He needs to make, make money to, to live. So, you know, there's kind of, there's kind of two, two sides to all. But I think, what, I think the stuff Joe was suggesting was a bit mean. And I think from, from the point of view of, like, uh, Moby releasing this stuff for independent filmmakers, one may argue that it doesn't really cost Moby anything to do that because they're not allowed to make any money from it. But what it does do is, you know, kind of provide a certain amount of publicity for Moby, who's just about to release a new album. 
and you don't maybe get people to cite and take an interest. You know, it's, you can you can start to be kind of nasty about it, really, if you want to be. And it's, I think the point that I kind of maybe making is that there's possibly amateurs out there who want to be more than amateurs, and they use the moral concepts of this kind of stuff to make themselves more popular. And there might be professionals who use this kind of stuff to get people to be on their side and to like them, irrespective of perhaps their artistic qualities. Um, so from that point of view, I think it's only fair for me and Scott to admit right off the bat that although we always plan to release our music for free, and although we both really, really like the concept of Creative Commons, um, you know, you could definitely argue that we are doing this as a to-get-people-interested thing. Because, I mean, we, although we, we really do take a great interest in Creative Commons and we really do strongly believe that it's a great way for amateurs to release music because you retain rights and you don't, but at the same point, you allow people to, you know, experience your creations. Um, we did play on it initially because we thought that would get people interested, didn't we, Scott? Yes, we did. And, uh, you know, I think it's fair to admit that, but, you know, it's not that we were we weren't lying about it. We genuinely believed in it all, but we maybe played it a bit harder than was entirely entirely necessary. And certainly, I mean, it was maybe the kind of thing that would have come up anyway, but we kind of decided from the off, off point to kind of make that a big thing because we thought that probably will kind of be an interesting thing to maybe make us stand out a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, I think when we kind of found out that there wasn't any, or at least we can't find any, other open source live action movie, we thought, oh, well, we've got to do that then. And it was it's partly because we believe so strongly in it, but it was partly because, hey, we'd be the first. How cool would that be? And it was partly, you know, how cool would that be? But it was also partly, that'll really make us stand out as well. Yeah. You know, so I mean, it's like, you know, we've got to be honest and admit that with everything that we talk about, there's two sides to all of it. You know, it's like, yeah, we, we do want to really support this stuff, but at the same point, we also recognise that it's a good kind of move for us to do stuff like that in terms of marketing. It's all about the fame. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, we're not, we don't have a marketing guy. I mean, we, we wouldn't sit here thinking, how can we trick them into downloading our movie? You know, what I mean, <laughs> we're not in a little <laughs> corner like trying to be devious or anything. But we have to admit that those kind of thoughts go through your head when you come up with these ideas. You do kind of start to think, oh, and that would also work well because of this. You know, and it's like we'd already thought of the whole Creative Commons thing. We thought, oh, you know, we should just maybe kind of make that a big deal then, because I mean, that people like that, and you know, they'd like us for doing that. Mm. You know. So I think maybe I'm kind of trying to say that it depends where it comes from. For us, it was like, well, we were going to do it anyway. And maybe the, the fact that we push certain aspects of it is for, you know, our own our own benefit. But the point is that it came from the place of we already believed in it. Mm. And I think maybe that's what it comes down to. It's like, I, by the way, I'm not trying to attack Moby. I love Moby. But, um, and this is all hypothetical. I'm not actually saying any of this is true. But let's say, you know, Moby actually doesn't believe in it. He's just doing it to get attention. Then you kind of say, well, is that bad or is that good? How does the morals fit in there? As opposed to, well, no, Moby genuinely believes in it and he's just following it through. And maybe he realises it'll help promote his new album. And so maybe maybe he was going to do it anyway, but he puts it off a couple of weeks until he's, well, I'm about to make the new announcement about my new album. Maybe I should do it then. You know? mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just kind of babbling, babbling. But I think it's all very interesting kind of just trying to discuss the morals of this kind of stuff. You know, It's not always as cut and dry as it sounds when you talk about it. I think even if it was uh, uh, kind of, there was a, a, an alternative on the- Alternate motive, I can't speak, sorry. Ulterior motive. Un- ulterior motive there, um, it's still going to ultimately lead to uh, beneficial things for others because it's still going to allow um, it to happen and uh, yeah. that can only kind of encourage and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, so but yeah. I, the interesting thing that Joe was kind of pointing at, which was sites that, see them, sites that I've released music onto, um, like Gemendo, mm-hmm. and we were, we were also talking about Magnitude as well. Joe was suggesting they actually might, I mean, she wasn't saying they definitely were, but she was just saying there was a possibility they actually might be exploiting the bands. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting when you think about it. Now, Gemendo, I would argue, are definitely not exploiting bands. However, let's just go with the devil's advocate viewpoint here. Um, Gemendo 
they will take anyone, anyone at all, can give them music to put on their on their site. So from that point of view, I don't know if it's really fair to call them a label, a record label. I don't know if even they would call themselves a record label, but you know what I mean. Um, mm. So let's say I just went onto the website. No one had to listen to my music to say it was good or bad or what. They just let me put it on the website. Now, what Jamendo used to make money is advertising. Okay? So the advertising that's on your page, they get that money. But that's not entirely true because I get a cut of it. Which, by the way, is not why, not why I put my band stuff onto Jumendo. But, you know, um, the point is that whatever money they make from the advertising on my web, of, on the, my page on Jumendo, I get a cut of that. I have no idea how much that is, but, you know, supposedly I get a cut of it. Um, but you could argue, it's like, well, it didn't cost Jumendo anything for you to make the music. You made the music yourself in your own studio that they didn't help pay for. You mixed it yourself without, high, you know, you know I mean, they have not financed you in any way up to the point of getting music from you then all they have to do is distribute it in a digital mechanism, which doesn't really cost them very much, especially since Jumendo do all the distribution through uh, peer-to-peer protocols. Uh-huh. So you can say, well, it doesn't really cost Jumendo that much to do any of this. All that they really have to pay for is the programming and the servers of, yeah. the, of the website. But I don't you, know how many people are working for them. Well, I, see, I have no idea. But see, it's interesting to kind of see, well, you know, is, is the money they're making from the advertising so that it's just because they love it so much they want to do it full-time? Or is it because they genuinely want to help artists? Or is it really ultimately just a money-making scheme? You know? And it's, it's like, you get into these kind of pessimistic attitudes, but I like to think Jumendo isn't doing that. Uh, but the other interesting one was then Magnitune, um, who are a record label, who they enforce that everybody must release their relates under Creative Commons if they want to be signed to them, which sounds good in theory. Um, they will only take... And again, this is the thing, they will not pay for you to record music. You have to supply them with totally finished mastered music for them to put out. Mm. Also, they will not accept anything less than 40 minutes. I don't know what that's all about, really, but it's a major annoyance to me and, uh, me and Jamie from NGO because we don't have 40 minutes of professionally recorded music yet. <laughs> um, and again, what happens is they then distribute it for you. Now, in this case, they actually do distribute it. You can download it directly from them as a client-server model, or they will. you can buy a CD from them and it'll be sent out in the post. Um, but again, it's like they didn't give you any money and they have no obligations to you that a normal record label would have. So, for instance, they have no obligation to promote you or get you gigs or anything like that. But then what Magnitude will do is that if you become popular on their website, they will start to offer you those kind of services, you know, as part of being signed to them. But also, the nice thing about Magnitude is that you're not exclusively signed to them. You can go and do whatever else you like with your music. It's your music. So, I mean, as record labels go, I think Magnitude is the best one I've heard of in that they have a, a fairly good and kind of proper record label model of, no, if you're good, we will kind of support you. And also, you, not everybody can get on Magnitude. They, everybody, they listen to everything that gets sent to them and decide whether or not it's good enough to be on Magnitude. So from those kind of viewpoints of supporting artists and doing the filtering, they are a proper record label. But at the same point, the artist maintains the rights to their music. And um, they're not exclusively signed to, to uh, Magnitude. Another thing as well with Magnitude is the the way that the percentages split up with the costs. So with I think with most record labels, it's something ridiculous. Like they own the rights to your music, and they make seventy five pence on the pound for everything every pound, and you make twenty five pence after they've made back all their money. Or so there's a while where you don't get anything at all. There's a, there's a lot of sales before you even start seeing money. Whereas in magnitude, it's the other way around. It's like the artist gets something ridiculous, like 90%, 90 pence out of the pound. And then magnitude get 10 pence from the pound. But it's them that doesn't make the money until they've made back what it costs. However, in the case of magnitude, what does it really cost them? You know, <laughs> mm. They're not really promoting you or, you know... You could, you could actually argue, well, they don't even start promoting you until you're already, you're already successful. 
So, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting to kind of start analysing these from the Thibodeau's advocate viewpoint. I mean, we're, we always talk about so pro about all these kind of things. You're kind of going to maybe look at it the other way from time to time. Because I think the, the thing is, you've got to make sure you don't fall into that category. You know, or else you're, you are kind of being a hypocrite about it. If you kind of start to kind of fall into that category and realise you're doing it and just go with it anyway, then you've kind of lost whatever ideology you had in the first place. That's nice and philosophical. Have got anything else to talk about? <laughs> Um, I think that was kind of uh, bringing it to an end. Is that it? Uh, incidentally, the the prequel to Da Vinci Code is the they're making um, Angels and Demons into into a film. I presumed it would be one of those because there was there was two, you know, the Da Vinci Code is the third part, the third book in a trilogy, isn't it? Oh, is it the third part? Oh, I didn't realize it was a it was a trilogy. There's the Angels and Demons, and there was one another one as well. I know Da Vinci Code. That's the third time that character was around in a book. Yeah. And yeah, the, the character that Tom Hanks plays is has uh, is, is been in a few books. Yeah, and I knew I knew that they were in chronological order. So Da Vinci Code would have to have been the last one. Yep, that doesn't make any more. Um, that's not a nice, decent length podcast, about forty minutes. That's not too bad. It's a, a bit shorter than last time, which is uh, probably a blessing for most. <laughs> yeah, and I think we need to get off anyway because we're going to a Sex Pistols concert. Tonight. That's right. We're going to see the Sex Pistols play at the SECC, which should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think we actually really should be leaving like no. Yeah, probably. Uh, should we just quickly say goodbye? <laughs> yeah, okay, let's say goodbye. So, uh, I'm uh, okay. Well, how do you do it? You do it first. Okay. Well, uh, uh, I'm Scott Heron, and I'm going to say goodbye. And uh, I'm John Ferguson, and you have been listening to Fictionality at fictionality.co.uk. Good night and God bless. Bye-bye.